You're listening to The Leap Podcast with Katie Lee. And that was a really interesting one for me because I got home and I told my husband what had happened and I felt like a complete lunatic actually. What does it matter what you think anyway? Yeah. 20 somethings. <laughs> you know nothing. <laughs> Before we get started, I just wanted to say thank you to all the people who listened to the first episode with the marvellous Joe Bahari and for all the positive feedback as well. Today, I'm interviewing Nancy Cruikshank. Nancy is a serial entrepreneur and a bit of a hero of mine. This interview is a little bit longer. I cut out a lot of great stuff with the Joe interview to keep it under 30 minutes. But firstly, it took me ages And secondly, a lot of people have said that they would have happily have heard more. So let me know what you think about the longer version. But whatever you do, make sure you listen to the second half because I make Nancy tell me some embarrassing stories that she didn't mention in the first half. And just a note on the audio in the first half, uh, I don't know what happened to it, but all I know is that my computer refused to even admit that file existed for about three days. So I'm just grateful that it finally decided to give it back. And also, I should add that Nancy was on crutches for this interview, having just had a major operation on her knee. Nancy, you're a trooper. Okay, then. Hi, Nancy. (laughs) Hi, Katie. Hello. Yep, Uh, we've done well there. Um, So my first question is, what, what happened after your first child? What was your maternity leave situation like and how did you feel? So after my first child, I had, um, I took some maternity leave. Um, I took 12 weeks off, uh, although I did go back to work for two weeks in the middle of that period. Of course, yeah. Um, I was running a business, handbag.com, which at the time was the biggest, you know, website for fashion and beauty here in the UK. A million and a half women reading it every month. Really vibrant, growing business. And it, up until the point of having children, had been my baby. And suddenly I'd had a baby and trying to figure out how to marry those things together and to juggle those things together was actually was a was a bit of a crisis sort of in my life, because actually just trying to make sure you didn't fail spectacularly at either one, but managed to put as much kind of passion into each one as you felt it deserved and required was just something I had to learn how to do. And I I remember getting some really good advice actually from a girlfriend um, after my first maternity leave, which I I guess, you know, for some women is is not a very long period of time to have taken 12 weeks off. Although perhaps if I spoke to my girlfriends in the US, they would say, wow, that's a really long maternity leave because they're used to having six weeks off. But in the UK, it's not a particularly long period of time. And I remember going back to work and I worked in the West End, which is probably about a commute from my house, about 45 minutes. And it would have been unheard of for me to have worked a nine till 5.30 day, you know, before having children. I was in the office on the Friday before I gave birth on the Sunday morning. And I remember going back to work and the first week was, was very educational for me because I managed to get myself home. I was desperate to see my my eldest daughter, who's now 12. I was desperate to get home because I'd understood in that first three months that she actually fell asleep at 6.30 at night. It was impossible to keep her awake much beyond it. Of course, she would then perhaps wake in the night, although she was a brilliant sleeper, actually. But, you know, you just couldn't get her to stay awake for longer than 6.30. And so I dashed out of the office on the first day at 5.30, feeling pretty guilty, actually, even though it was day one. And I remember 
throughout the first week or two of being back at work, sort of sidling out of the office. That's probably the best way to describe it. And I'd say things to people like, oh, I'll see you later. Never, I'm going home now. I'll see you in the morning, yeah. but I'll see you later. Because that left it unknown to everybody yeah, so as to whether I'd be back gone to a meeting or not. Or you might have been, yeah. But I couldn't own up to it. Yeah. I would then race home. I'd just make it back for 6.30. Of course, I'd miss bath time. And in my mind, I agonised about, oh, surely I should be doing bath time. You know, and I had a great nanny, a real Mary Poppins, you know, Yorkshire lass. She was just wonderful. I felt very, very guilty that I wasn't doing bath time, which seemed to me very important at the time. And I'd probably get about five minutes with Meg in my arms till she was completely comatose and in bed. And I have to say, I felt like such a huge failure because I felt like a huge failure that I'd gone back to work and I was letting down 50 people who were sitting in my office who were, you know, in my mind, I thought, well, surely they they need me to be there. And not even that I was conceited enough to think they need me, but also I felt like I ought to be there because if they were working hard mm. till seven, surely I should be doing the same as their their leader. And of course, at this end, I felt like, oh my God, I haven't seen my little girl, and this is this is really bad. And I remember talking to a girlfriend, her name is Teresa Townsend, and she used to run Calvin Klein um, in the UK. Really successful woman with two children. And I explained to her what I how it had been the first two weeks when she was kind enough to actually ask me the question. And she said, you know what, you've got this so wrong, for starters. You cannot be sidling out the office at 5.30. Instead... Pick your days, pick the day or two that you're going to stay in the office till seven o'clock. Because if you're running a company actually like this, perhaps there are some days that require you to mm. be there, like figure it out. But on the days that you're leaving, start announcing, you know, broadcasting to everyone in the office at four o'clock. Guys, don't forget, I'm going to be out of here in the next hour or hour and a half. So anything you need me to be involved in, chat through, gosh, if you need me to sign anything, tell me about it now. Because don't forget, you know, 90 minutes, I'm absolutely out of here. Otherwise, I won't see my, my daughter tonight. And somehow being really open and honest in discussing that gave me back a bit of a feeling of self about the whole thing, that I could be honest with both sides of my life about what I was doing. And I think, you know, that doesn't always crack, you know, the juggling doesn't always mean that you feel, wow, I've been so, you know, successful on both sides of this. Yeah. But it was a really great, straightforward piece of advice that really benefited me at that time when frankly you know I I did feel that I'd slightly lost a bit of self not really understanding you know where I fitted in and how on earth these things could coexist and I felt like I was doing really really well at both and did you at that time because obviously you were you know extremely senior in your company so you probably weren't that troubled by thoughts of what other people thought about you but after having the baby did you then think well, they might be thinking I'm, I'm slacking off or that I'm lazy. That was all I thought about. You yeah. know, that was why I was sidling out of the office because yeah. I felt enormously guilty that they would think that I wasn't working as hard as them. And I think from a female perspective, you know, we, I guess, have... I'm 44, so I guess I have grown up in an environment where to succeed as a woman, somehow you've, I felt culturally it was important to be better than the guy next to me with the same amount of experience in order to get, you know, that top job. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that was, that was a real learning for me because, of course, you know, there's so many things that, you know, we've learned, I guess, with the benefit of technology to enable us to work a bit more flexibly, to be a bit more accountable, to be analysing and reporting on 
what really works you know effectively in our businesses but actually the reality is of course it's all about the results that you generate yeah it's completely senseless to be thinking about the hours that you sit mindlessly in an office if it's productive time then brilliant and of course there are many many jobs and roles where you do need to be there collaborating and working in a team and sometimes in a very physical face-to-face -face context but I refuse to believe that that's all of the time or every role or company out yeah. there so I think that yeah it, it's you know it, it was a really interesting kind of learning experience for me of suddenly thinking don't worry about what people think tell them help them to think about what to think because actually the reality was once I put Meg to bed of course, I would be online again later that evening. I'd be checking into my emails, looking to see if I'd had any phone calls. There's lots of things that I could then deal with between, you know, seven. I might even have dinner with my husband, you know, and then be back online for a couple of hours later on. But I think it's quite interesting when you look at millennials today and you look at, you know, women and men, for that matter, in their 20s. And I've many of them working, you know, in our office who have a very different attitude to work. Mm. You know, I think for me, when I began my career, I used to work for Vogue. And I remember, you know, the sort of early 90s, it was just all about this voracious appetite for work. There was nothing I didn't have my hand up for. There was nothing I wouldn't deprioritize outside of work for work. It was all about getting ahead, showing that you were determined, willing to work 80 hours every week, whatever. And I think that actually there is just much more... Um, appreciation today of having a work-life balance that doesn't mean that I don't think Millennials work hard I actually do but I think there's just a different appreciation of different things it might be your corporate social responsibility it might be whether you can work flexibly from home so you can let the plumber in on a Wednesday afternoon without feeling like you're gonna get fired all of those things you know, are just different today yeah. and I think we've got to be really aware of those things and I think Corporates, of course, are evolving their strategies and thinking towards this and, you know, small and local businesses, but none of it's happening fast enough. Yeah. And I guess that's where I am today in the business that I'm trying to create and build is really trying to fill that gap and enable women really flexible ways to work, but still in a way that's sustainable. You could build, you know, a really significant business and income or you could do something that's you know, much on a much smaller basis. The, the point is it's tailored to what you require. Yeah. I think that's really interesting because a lot of the jobs that are available to women are either they have to make a compromise. So obviously I'm not talking about all women, but, you know, yeah. you have to make a compromise. I've got a friend at the moment who is working in a role that is extremely junior for the her skill set, but it's, it's the thing that allows her to make it back yeah. in time to do the school run. Yeah. So she's sort of having to compromise. And it really is, it's sort of, t it's giving her ego such a battering. Yeah. Um, and I think what's been interesting is, you know, she's a freelancer, so she's sort of watched her day rate go down as her self-esteem goes down with it. Yeah. Um, and I think what's interesting about what you're doing is because you are allowing women this sort of control over, over it, is that it's almost like they can, they can wrestle that back a little bit. And I think that there's something, there's something very demoralizing about being obliged to take a job yeah. that, that you have to kind of fit into and that that's... I that's think, all you've got. I think that's right. I think you also have to think about, though, you have to think about what what are all of our motivations for taking a job in the first place? And we're all completely different. And I think if you thought about this as some kind of um, interesting dashboard, there'd be a series of different dials on it. And we'd all have the dials set at different levels to suit us. 
So, you know, my motivation may be that it's all about um, inspiration, it's all about self-development, and a lot about money, because I need the income. But not so much about being a membership of a community, interfacing with interesting people, who knows? Yeah. But that, that's the thing. All of those things are really important, I think, in deciding to go back to work. And, and it's a very personal choice. So I, I, I get that very much through our business, is that people will say, what's been so brilliant about this is I can earn a flexible income. But also what's been amazing about it is I've kind of got my mojo back. I've got something that's all about me. I love going to brand training days once a month and meeting Nikki Clark and meeting Louise Redknapp and all these very cool brands who are just inspiring me with what they're doing. Yeah. Um, I've also met some brilliant women, they'll say, and it's just really nice to be able to have, to, firstly, it's really nice to be able to get out of my network, because I think when you when you become a mum, there's some amazing parts of it, not least your child, but also you meet lots of interesting other mums yeah. through your networks, whether it's NCT or it starts to be through nursery school and so on, but sometimes that can become quite confining as well. And so I think being able to get outside of that be inspired, use your amazing skills, be flexible, but actually still be in a position where you can say, you know what, I'm going to dial this down in the school holidays because I do want to be able to spend more time with the kids. Yeah, That's what's important. It's, you know, being able to, to bespoke that to yourself, yeah. I guess. And I think, unfortunately, in, in many, you know, environments where you're taking a more traditional job, it's really hard to, to be in control of your dials. getting out of it, of your <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. I think that um, the, the reason you want to kind of get out and go mm. back to work is, I mean, and I think it's a shame that we have to, that so often I talk to mothers who say, well, there's no point me going back to work because I won't earn enough if I yeah. do it. And it's kind of like, well, that's sort of an irrelevance if yeah. the thing, that, you, the thing yeah. that it is is something you really want to do and that will give yeah. you back, a, you know, your sense yeah. of self. Yeah. Um, and that's just, a, just one factor to consider. It's not the only thing to think about. Um, but listen, I do want to ask you about um, your business. But before that, I just want to go back very briefly to your... Yeah. At what point did, did things for you start to feel like, well, you know what I am? This is who I am now and I'm not going to apologise for it. I think that... Um, I think second time around, I had ha I had two girls very close together. So that by the time Meg was six months old, I was pregnant again. Right. Quite an all or nothing girl. <laughs> I decided, my God, this is so brilliant. Look what I've done. Let's have another one. Oh so actually, my kids are 15 months apart. Yeah. So that was interesting in that second time around, I actually had two weeks off my maternity leave. Right. Not because I was by now so blasé about, you know, I had this amazing setup. I did have an incredible nanny helping me out. And I realised that I'm incredibly privileged to have been in a position where I could afford to do that because not everyone is in, in that position. So that truly, truly enabled me to feel very confident that whilst I wasn't here, there was someone here who was just caring for my children and, and probably, frankly, doing some learning and development with them. She was a vocational nanny in a better way than I would have done it, frankly. And so I think I felt very confident by that point. I also was a point, at a point with my business where we were looking at buying one of my very significant shareholders out of the business. And there are, I guess, some things in a business where as the founder and CEO, it's really hard to defer those things to yeah. other people. So I did not go back to work full time. I went back to work kind of three stroke four days a week. And I was much more flexible. I'd be, you know, dipping in and out of home, one of my shareholders' offices and indeed our office. 
but I did have that support of I know how it works at home now yeah. so I don't have to worry about that but also I kind of knew enough about who I was to feel like I could dip in and out at the office so when I walked into the door of the office I didn't feel like I had to stay for 10 or 12 hours at that point yeah I could be breezing in for three hours to go and have you know a critical meeting and then I'd be out again so I, I think it did change it taught me a lot very very quickly because what I realized was I was fortunate I was running my own business I cared so passionately about that business but I also cared so passionately about trying to get some quality time with my daughter and then my two daughters you know the other thing that you must take into account is I've got a really fantastic husband who plays you know a, a very central role in their lives and so our parenting is done on a very 50 50 basis so I think that you know everyone's you know setup is is very different but I, I was very fortunate in having great childcare, a great partner you know in my husband in doing it all and I I did learn about how to be, you know, honest enough in both environments to try and, you know, try, try and feel like I was getting it right at least some of the time yeah. in each place. And I think I also became quite pragmatic about there is no superhuman approach to, you know, juggling work and life. And I think, you know, one of the things I'm often asked as, you know, a businesswoman you know, with my own business, I sit on the board of a couple of one of the FTSE 250 businesses here, and I sit on the board of an Indian listed business. And people say, you know, how do you juggle your work life balance? And actually, I have to say, I don't believe in it. It is just life. Yeah, it's as simple as that. And you have to try and set the agenda so that some of the time it might be that I'm away with work for a couple of days. I'm really clear with the kids and gym, that's what I'm doing. I make sure everyone's cool with that. And it works. But then some of the other time I'll be saying to, you know, the team at the office, I'm going to be leaving. It's three o'clock because I'm going to watch a hockey match. And I think it's making you can't do both all the time. No. But trying to establish which are the things that are going to matter most to each party and to try and have a bit of self amongst that. Because I think one of the biggest challenges for women who are juggling both is the thing that gets deprioritized is you. Yeah. So that that's a tough one yeah, to juggle. Yeah, definitely. And, and and I'm not sure I've completely cracked that part. No, but it is, I, I, my theory is that I always have like, there's three things I can do in a week. I can, and, and so if I, if I try to do one other thing, then I will drop a plate. So, you know, I, it's usually my job and my family and then it might be, and like, I, I'm, I'm the same. I don't really believe in work-life balance. I just, and I don't, dif I'm not really very good at differentiating between my job and my life. It's not, they're just the same because I, I guess I work for myself and I work yeah. from home. Um, so to me, like, something I might be knitting or something I need to do in the garden will be as important in my mind <laughs> as work I have to do. Yeah. So I will be thinking like, or, you know, as, or children yeah. I have to yeah. look after. Yeah. And so I, to me, those things are of equal, like, I don't really, and so some weeks the garden will be, yeah. or like the thing I'm making or the yeah. podcast I've decided yeah. to record today instead of, you know, yeah. getting other work done yeah. is, you know, that is, just I just have to take that on the chin or yeah. I'll probably will get in tomorrow morning and go oh god I forgot about yeah. the VAT return which is due in on Wednesday yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there is you know there is a lot of that that happens yeah. but I just sort of well you know then probably tomorrow night will be spent doing the VAT return yeah <laughs> that's okay but you know I think the thing that's really interesting about that is that you have got um a lot of experience and you've worked in interesting businesses and you have the capability to 
have created your own business and to be in control of juggling yeah. those things, whether it's the knitting, the gardening, the kids, the podcast, <laughs> the consulting, whatever yeah. it might be, which is amazing. I think one of the things that I find quite intriguing is that there are many, many talented women out there. I mean, I can't tell you how many talented me women I meet every single day, but there is definitely a, a lack of confidence amongst women that doesn't exist for men. I think capabilities are almost identical amongst men and women, but confidence does somehow get diminished with women. So I think a lot of women would find themselves, you know, in your position where they'd love to be doing that in control of their own destiny and working mm. for themselves from home. But actually there's just something that they're missing to give them the support or the information or whatever it is to get that off the ground. And I think that's where my showcase comes in, in that it's a network of women from all different backgrounds and all different age groups and all different parts of the country. And the idea is that, you know, we all do need some kind of support network to make things happen. And we might have been relying on, you know, our job for that at some points in our life, or it might be our family or, you know, our girlfriends. But, but actually, I think sometimes when you're trying to do something that is more flexible, you're working for yourself having access to that support network is more critical than ever. Yeah. Because there's highs and lows of, you know, the more flexible environment that you There are definitely some lows and some highs, thankfully. You know, like, you know, I bet that there are days that, you know, it is, it's hard to get that instant motivation that you need. That's, there have been years. There have been years. <laughs> let's, and, not, let's not beat around the bush. <laughs> you know, and that's really important, isn't it? To yeah. have other women who can tell you, you know, really practically and really honestly, this is my experience, maybe it could be helpful to you. So the very first day that I went back to work after having Meg, um, and having been involved with the business sort of in between, but the very first day I went back, I think I didn't really realise that I was quite nervous about going. Right. I'd felt a bit sort of concerned, I guess, was the that was the most I was willing to probably admit to myself that I felt because I think I felt that there was some kind of weakness involved of saying I'm not literally ready to skip down the garden path yeah. and shoot back to work. Now that's not to say on the first day I left and suddenly you've got time to yourself, you can pop into Starbucks, grab yourself a coffee. Some of those things were really nice actually on that first morning but I remember arriving back at work and um, sitting down at my desk, I'd had this really brilliant um, woman in our management team who'd, who'd been kind of the acting MD for the business for the period I was away. And um, she was there. And actually what became very clear to me was she was probably also quite nervous about me coming back because she'd been acting up into a different role. Yeah. And actually the way that manifested itself was she was really quite mean on really? this day back. <laughs> And which was such an unusual thing because she's such an amazing person who I rate so, so highly, but was clearly feeling a bit under pressure with how are we both going to fit in? By 10 o'clock, I'd only got to the office probably at about nine. By 10 o'clock, I remember having to rush to the ladies' room and be violently sick. Really? And for the rest of the day, I was sick about every 45 minutes. <gasps> And there was absolutely nothing wrong with me. I didn't feel unwell. I didn't have food poisoning. There was nothing wrong. It was clearly, I was just in complete turmoil about the day. I was really worried about having left with this, you know, precious 
daughter at home, albeit I knew she was in great hands. And I suddenly was really uncomfortable in my yeah. usually very comfortable work environment. And, and that was really unsettling actually, because also I want, of course I didn't want to let anyone know that I was running to the bathroom being incredibly sick every 45 minutes or so. And that was a really interesting one for me because I got home and I told my husband what had happened. And I felt like a complete lunatic actually when I was explaining to him yeah. what had happened because the madness of this setup yeah. became very obvious to me, you know, even though I was the storyteller there and I, I'd been the well, main she started saying it out instigator loud. of this whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I think things like that, where you realise that actually things have just changed. It's not all necessarily within your control. And I, I think this, this loss of control yes. yeah. is a very sort of common theme, whether it's, you know, girlfriends say to me, oh my goodness, you know, it's midday and I'm still wearing my pyjamas that are covered in sick and I'm not dressed. I mean, how could that be the case? Normally I'm able to be up at six in the morning and showered and ready and doing yeah. whatever. It, it's just a change in your life. And I think you've got to be, um, I would definitely say that as a female um, you know, leader in a business, I am pretty embarrassed actually about how I probably felt about mums who were older than me, more senior to me, who were 30 something or 40 something when I was 25. Because honestly, I would never have admitted it at the time and it's hard to even recognize it now. But I probably would have thought, oh goodness, you know, it's five o'clock and off you go. That's probably what led to me feeling so guilty mm. when I was suddenly 30 or 40 something, yeah. getting out the door. And I think that, you know, what does that really teach me is that we've all got to have, you know, a much more, um, you know, just a much more sort of all encompassing attitude to different talents, different skill sets, different, you know, abilities to work different times of the day. It is about the collaboration. Yeah. It's about the result. It is not about, you know, having one type of person, one type of working. That that's my greatest, you know, learning, I think. Yeah. From working, you know, as as a mum, running always running a career and working with an awful lot of women is you need to be kinder, actually. Yeah. And more understanding without necessarily being any less exacting about the results that you demand. Mm. But also, I think when you hit your 30s, you start to realise that, um, what does it matter what you think anyway, yeah. you 20-somethings? <laughs> you know nothing. <laughs> You'll learn and um, about anything, frankly. So now I can't even listen to pop stars being interviewed because I'm like, I don't, what do you have to say? <laughs> Which is a terrible attitude, also not true. Um, okay, some to add. Um, so, oh God, there's loads of things I want to pick apart in that. Um, I think it's interesting that when so so as a as a female you uh, you have a certain body you're born with and then you get to a sort of a puberty and you get this new body that you have to learn to live with and then it takes you sort of until your twenties to learn to kind of love it and learn to get used to it if you can at mm. all because not all, obviously mm. a lot of women struggle with that but then you know you sort of wait and you you've then become quite senior and you foolishly waited to your thirties to um, have children um, going against nature <laughs> when you should have actually just sprogged. At 18 and they just, they just slid out oh and you God. just snapped back into position um but but you 
sort of waited till you're senior. So then yeah. you're used to control. You're used mm. to your morning, you know, gym, mm. latte, whatever fabulous existence I, I never had. <laughs> <laughs> I like to pretend I'm I did. My head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, you know, uh, in the gym at five every oh, morning. Yeah. Four thirty, um, maybe. Exactly. Um, always had my highlights done. Um, but it was. But the the. Um, you then get a new body and I think that's what's weird is that you get so what it must have, I can't imagine what it was like for you going back after sort of 12 weeks with probably quite a different body as well yeah I definitely had a different body um and if you imagine that three months after that I had a very different body again because yes. I was pregnant again that's crazy and um yeah that was quite mad in actual fact one thing that was very funny that did happen to me was I didn't tell anyone at work I was pregnant the first time around until I was 20 weeks. Yeah. And actually, I it, I managed to be in a position where it didn't really show. Um, and it was just getting to that point where it was sort of on the edge. But when I t everyone was incredibly surprised the first time round, very excited. But I felt like I'd been able to somehow, I guess there were two parts of it. One, I wasn't quite ready to share this really, you know, exciting mm. development in my life. Um, with my colleagues at work it was it, there was something I wanted to have that was separate about the two rather than immediately worrying for the first half of the pregnancy about how we're going to manage work and all the rest of it I kind of just wanted to give myself that that opportunity but also um, you know it was a surprise and so then there was a you know a very focused amount of time to actually plan for what we were going to do and so you know we really had to nail that second time around I again told the office uh, when I was about I was about 18 weeks pregnant and frankly by this point it had been so obvious to me and my close mates everyone was laughing at me saying how do people not know and I remember standing around in the office we always had town hall meetings on a pretty regular basis and announcing that I was pregnant no surprise whatsoever everyone knew they said well we we couldn't completely decide whether you were pregnant again really quickly or whether you'd really lost control <laughs> which was deeply reassuring it's clearly nice. yeah but yeah i mean body was just completely different and there was me trying to i guess you know work along the same lines as i had done originally but the reality was my shape had changed anyway and suddenly going through a second pregnancy it changed even more so again it was actually really obvious to everyone mm. else and um but in my mind i clearly hadn't got myself yeah prepared for all of that because i was still operating in exactly the same way that i had originally um and i definitely would say from having two children close together perspective and particularly going back to work very quickly the second time around um it was quite tough to actually you know get back in shape and yeah. lose the weight and all that sort of stuff yeah um and were you breastfeeding as well yeah i was i was fairly uh average i would say in that department i did breastfeed both of my girls for six weeks because of course you know we're told that that's when you know you transfer all the right antibodies and all the rest of it i don't think i, th I think i did feel a certain pressure to do that and also a certain desire to do that because of what I understood about that. But I, from the start, really wanted Jim to be really involved. And actually, I felt with a tiny baby, one of the most amazing ways to do that for Jim was to be able to feed her at 10 o'clock at night. So actually, we started introducing a bottle feed really, really early mm. in her life, probably from, I don't know, maybe even two, two weeks of age. 
because I did feel that was this amazing bonding moment. And I always really valued that moment. I know he did as well. So, so I did breastfeed, breastfeed for six weeks with Meg, um, and, but interspersed with bottles. So I didn't go back to work and have to kind of right. you know, pump in the office. The second time I did, um, so because I went back after two weeks, and that was challenging. In actual fact, I remember standing on a stage. It was uh, Handbag's fifth birthday party. In fact, this happened the first time around, and it was four weeks after I gave birth. I remember standing on a stage at Café de Paris and normally dressed all in black, as you know, and it was no different that night. And I was dressed in this very sleek pair of black trousers that I'd managed to squeeze myself into. I think I had whatever was the equivalent of a really good pair of Spanx on at the time, albeit it may have been before they were particularly invented. And I remember my boobs were enormous and I had these um, breast pads on because I was terrified it was going, I was going to have some dreadful, you know, leakage going on. And all I could say is, thank God I was wearing black because when I was standing on the stage at Café de Paris with a thousand people in this room, I guess it must have been that, you know, nervous energy of being up there talking to this room of a thousand people that I suddenly felt this enormous gush of everything just let let rip. Let down. <laughs> and I had breast milk all down my front. Thank God no one could see it though, because one, it was very dim lights. I had two breast pads in each side, I think, for real sort of confidence. Yeah. But I mean, just hideous. And so I think that's a real, that's a really tough one to balance yeah. actually, the, doing that. And you know, and I definitely did not, uh, did not do well on, I once, on that um, front. I once leaned forward to sign something and a drop of milk <laughs> <laughs> so fell onto my hand as I was signing and I just sort of went, I just sort of wiped it off and just sort of looked up just and then just sort of stood with my arms up like this. Anyway, there you go, handed them the thing. And, and then- Did they notice? Away. I don't think anyone noticed. <laughs> I really hope not, or if they did, they... I mean, because it, the thing is, is I thought, well, before I had children, if that happened in front of me, and I saw, I would just be, I just wouldn't even know what to, to, do. to do or to think about that. I would just be so shocked. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas yeah. now if it happened, I'd be like, oh, that happened. You know, but at the time I was just, I, I just thought, and, and that was the first, yeah. the first child as well. So it was like, whereas now, you know, the second yeah. time around, I'd probably be like, yeah, yeah. it was milk, deal with it. Yeah. You know, the universe needs to get used to this. <laughs> it's been going on for a long time. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, that is, your body does strange things and betrays yeah. you in odd ways. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so very, uh, I, you know, I, I think we've already talked a bit about uh, my showcase, but I'd love you just to do a, your brief, um, do your elevator pitch or maybe your, um, I don't know what's even shorter than the elevator. Just do your, no, do the elevator. So I guess the really brief elevator yeah. would be, um, you know, my showcase is kind of a very contemporary version of Avon meets Space NK. So what does that really mean? It is, it's a direct sales business, but it's a contemporary version that has multiple brands involved. So it becomes this really personal social shopping experience for great beauty products in the home if you're a consumer. But for a woman who wants to work flexibly, this is a way to, you know, really make beauty your business and be in control of your schedule. So if you're, um, if you're a woman and you think this would be a good idea, I, I'd like to do this. Yeah. What do you have to do? Do you have to buy into the franchise, or do you get? How does it work? Yes, yeah, so it's really simple. You start your my showcase business for 199 pounds. When you sign up and spend 199 pounds, you get 500 pounds worth of beauty products 
and we sell 38 different brands. So it's a selection of products from across those ranges. You also get a stack of beauty books, which has the entire range. You get your own website, which of course is also all the tools you need, payments, the stylist hub, all the training you're ever gonna need to get up and running. And that's training on the brands, but also it's training on how to run the business. You get access to private Facebook group, you get uh, all the other business supplies you'll need. So even the basics of a white tablecloth, you know, display stands to display the products, order forms, on it goes. There's, there's a lot of stuff involved. And then you can get started. You'll normally be assigned kind of eight stylist mentors. So another woman who's building a team who will frankly just give you the benefit of her experience in both my showcase, making a success of that, but also potentially other businesses. It's someone else to talk to um, about how to make it work. And you know, you're ready to go from that moment. So you literally could sign up you know, on a Monday, your kit would arrive by Wednesday or Thursday usually. You could be showcasing the, the next day because you've just, you know, um, viewed enough videos and read enough to yeah. be able to talk about what's come in your kit. You don't have to be talking about all 38 brands and everything in those ranges. But the thing that I feel really passionately about is I want you to make money really, really quickly. So obviously we're giving you a lot more in that 199 than just the 199 we're giving you 500 pounds plus all of these other great things but i want you to start making money really quickly and then you might spend some of that money on investing in some additional products because if i saw you for a showcase this week and i had you know some great makeup and a little bit of skincare in my kit you know if you want to see me again next month now you know you want to host a showcase where our hosts get a 20% personal discount plus a 40 pound credit they invite five girlfriends to come along so a lot of girls get together in a group. They have the equivalent of a book club, but it's a beauty club. Take it in turns to host every month or every other month. So it's good to be able to use some of the money you're making and the very significant discount you get to keep topping up bits and pieces in your kit to always have something fresh and new to talk about mm -hmm. as well as continuing on with, if I've sold you a, a cleanse that you fall in love with, you probably do wanna see that and other products relating to it you know, on an ongoing consistent basis. Yeah. So we try and keep keep it really simple, you know, that what other business could you start for £199 where suddenly you've got, you know, this very extraordinary, very sophisticated fulfillment, logistics, customer service operation behind you, all of that support and you're making money really, really quickly. It's pretty hard, hard, hard to achieve, I think. Mm. Um, so that that's our real passion is, you know, make it enough I think to make sure that people are interested and serious because what you don't want obviously are people to sign up who just want to have 500 pounds worth of products for 199 pounds yeah. yeah that's a good idea um so <laughs> you want to make sure that you're focused on you know getting people who want to give it a shot yeah now that's not to say that it's going to be do you have everyone. to be recommended is it like joining a private members club no it's not at all oh, no okay. no you just you know you anyone can get on board you know right. self okay. self-selecting on that basis there's no interview there's no you know bars that you've got to jump over and, and i think that's really really important i think 199 pounds is a a modest enough amount of money to start your own business that it feels accessible but i think it's also enough money that you would think about it seriously before deciding to yeah. sign up yeah and i think getting that balance right is really important yeah we do offer promotions sometimes as a, ho as a host, if you host a showcase and you think, wow, I love it, I'd love to do that. You can actually use your 20% discount and your 40 pound credit 
to sign up as a stylist that night. So you actually can sign up for as little mm. as you know 127 pounds, 120p I think. Um, so there are really great ways to, to get involved. Yeah. Um, but it's it's pretty straightforward to get started. There you go. And do you um, with the with the women? How much training are they getting? Are they? Is it the sort of thing where if you're kind of uh, you know a, a, a millennial or like a, even younger that you could start it as a as a business and then actually from there you've become pretty much an entrepreneur completely. completely. So we have stylists in their twenties. I think we've got one stylist um, who is just on my case at the moment who is not quite eighteen because you do have to be eighteen to sign right. up. It's part of our direct selling. Um, code of conduct uh, piece but apart from that we typically have women in their 20s 30s 40s 50s few in their 60s we might even have one who's 70 actually which I love because age is irrelevant it's about your network Mm. and your network is a huge thing of course what happens if your network's poor but actually everyone so that's a really regular question that you'll get asked but when you start making a list of who's in your network and you really think about what is your network? Well, it's, of course, your your friends, your closest friends, yeah. and it's your extended friends. It's people who live near you, your neighbours. It's people you used to work with. And, oh, my goodness, I've had 10 jobs over the years. So it's all those people in all 10 environments. It's people, depending on what your thing is, it could be people at church, it could be people at the gym, it could be people at the hairdressers, it could be local business owners who you think, you know what, I'm going to go and approach them. I don't know this particular fashion boutique, but if I popped in to do a showcase, it might be another great reason for them to mail their database and say, come on in, it's going to be a great showcase, glass of wine, oh, another right, so you can reason. Actually do it in shops. You can do it wherever you want to do it. That's a good idea. You could do it in offices, in shops. Um, you could do it, obviously, mainly it happens in homes. There's nothing so powerful as someone's kitchen to bring mm. a group of women together and for them to be really Isn't honest. Just where there's alcohol? Coffee or alcohol. Yeah, one of these two drugs. Mm. That's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I like the sound of that. Um, so, have you? Do you think you'll, you'll? Can you imagine a world? This is. I'm just throwing this question out now because mm. I quite like the idea of it. That one day you'll be. You know, this will be your new seed funding business, and actually you'll be starting a whole group of entrepreneurs on their way to their own businesses. Oh, it's quite interesting actually because we 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 do think that's really really interesting. So. Um, you know, actually just incentivizing our kits at the moment, you know, £500 worth of product and all of that other training, which, you know, you could mm. assign hundreds of pounds to that for 199 That is kind of a way of us doing this seed funding even now. But actually, more so than that, we work with 38 different brands. And the brands in themselves are typically founded by really fantastic entrepreneurs. And the vast majority of them are women also. And in fact, over the last two years, we have invested in two of our brands. Um, we've in, and, and that's been a very interesting thing because we have invested in those brands to help them take their business to the next level. I love the idea of having a fund and yeah, you can you just create tens of thousands of amazing female-led businesses yeah. all around the world. It's like you're giving birth to all them as well, Nancy. Yeah, I'm giving birth a lot. <laughs> Wow, feels like a good place to end, really. (laughs) I have one more question. If you could offer any advice, and you're very good at advice, you once gave me exceptional advice, um, uh, what would you say to women now giving birth, about to have their first child? I think the, the most important thing is there is no right answer. 
you know, the idea that there is a way to raise your family, to manage a work-life balance, to make decisions, that there is no single way to do it. I think the most important thing is you have to have a really honest conversation with yourself about what you want to do, what you can do, what you can be a feel comfortable doing, how you can, you know, maximize this opportunity for yourself and not feel like you're you're doing any one thing to the detriment of another. And I think that's really, really critical. You know, people ask me now, so, um, you know, how do you juggle, you know, the kids and the business and your non-exec work and all the rest of it? And, you know, how, how do you make sure that you're baking for the cake sale and showing up for the you know, the hockey match and getting to the right board meeting on the right day and running your business. And the reality is I don't do all of those things. Mm. And so I think that's the most important thing is think about what you want to do. I don't ever bake for the school bake sale because I'm actually rubbish at baking. It's something that I definitely feel is a pressure that I don't require. And also I only want to do things that relate to my children if they're present. And baking yeah. for the bake sale is, would be something I'd need to do at 10 o'clock at night when they're in bed, quite frankly, because that's when the time would come up to yeah. do that. Whereas if it's something where they say to me, mum, we've got a school concert and we really want you to be there, it just happens to be at 2.30 on a Monday afternoon, I'll get that in my diary and I will get there, whatever happens. Yeah. So I think figure out what's right for you, but really be honest with yourself about what's right for you. Because I know a lot of people, a lot of women who I think, you know, are not somehow clear enough about that. It's not just being honest with yourself, is it? It's, it's about it's about um, getting the noise of other people's views and opinions that you may Absolutely. be even imagining. So Absolutely. you don't know what those women were thinking yeah. in the office that day, yeah. but you just imagine exactly what right. they might be thinking. Exactly and it's right. irrelevant. It's all irrelevant. That's very, that's that's absolutely right. It's try and decide what it is, and then I think the more honest you can be with everyone else around you about what it is you've decided to make your choice, the better. Yeah. And then you really don't need to listen to anyone's judgments or views yeah. about how you're doing it. As long as you feel good about it, that should be the barometer. Yeah. Is actually, and also be pragmatic about that. It won't be 100% great 100% of the time in any one aspect, is my personal experience. But as long as you can see, you know, there are times when you get home, whether it's with a really small baby at the start, or whether it is, you know, as they're older and you're there to celebrate some fantastic sporting achievement or whatever it is with them, really, really relish that and, and celebrate that and enjoy that. Um, I like the whole approach of mindfulness the day. The whole idea of being very conscious in your life, appreciative of what you've got right now. Um, and, you know, without any judgment, just appreciate that moment. Mm. Um, and, and I think that would be the advice I'd give to my sort of 32 year old self, um, you know, doing it again is be mindful of what you want. Don't worry about what other people think. Be honest about it and, and then get on with it and love it, you know, in, enjoy it. And frankly, when there are moments where things do don't go your way, just, you know, realize that it's, it's one day, mm -hmm. one bad week. Yeah. You know, you've just got to move on. There's an Annie song in there somewhere, I there think. There is a song about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you very much, Nancy. That was brilliant. As always, I love talking to you. Um, so thank you very much for You're letting so me welcome. steal your time love, love with your dodgy to you leg. Too. Oh. 
We've got some really excellent interviews lined up, so please do subscribe on iTunes or follow Shiny Katie on SoundCloud. And if you want to know more about the people I've interviewed, head to katielee.co.uk for more details. You can follow Nancy on Twitter, on Crookshank N. I'm Shiny Katie. The Leap Podcast is brought to you by Miramus Media with music by Alex Milway. Joe Beale gets a special mention for cleaning up the sound so it wasn't totally unusable. Thank you, Joe.